there's a story about the new drug, Ozempic, that people like to tell. It's a story of a -a once-in-a-generation medical breakthrough, of how a drug to treat diabetes became a game-changing new drug for weight loss. Now, there are plenty of caveats. You have to take it indefinitely. It doesn't work for everyone. There are side effects. It's at the moment unbelievably expensive and barely ever covered by insurance. But it works. People can lose a significant percentage of their body weight and keep it off, and they can do it safely. This medical story is straightforward and celebratory and satisfying. But there's another story, the cultural story, which is way more complicated. In the last few years, the culture has finally started to make a little bit of progress with fat shaming. For example, Weight Watchers downplayed weight in its name and started talking more about health and wellness and developing a positive mindset. Models who were not real thin started showing up everywhere, not just in Dove ads. And young women I know make a point to talk about how beautiful these models are and how beautiful their own bodies are. This whole thing feels new, and it's delicate. And now here comes this miracle weight loss drug that could upset all of that. And the more I try and imagine a future where Ozempic is commonly available, the more I wonder how this medical miracle and our recent progress around body image live together and if they can live together. So as I was thinking about all that, the first person I wanted to talk to was Olga Hazan. She's a rare writer who can see where medicine and culture clash. And she's reported on Ozempic for The Atlantic. Hi, Olga. Hi, Hannah. So I am excited to have the cultural conversation. But first, some basics. What is Ozempic? Ozempic is a brand name for a drug called semaglutide, which basically just mimics this digestive hormone that we all have, which slows digestion, and it also tells you that you're full. And what makes it so revolutionary? Why do people say, oh, this is a game changer? The idea of like a magic pill for weight loss has been with us for a while, but they've always been not effective or dangerous. This is really the first one where the side effects, usually like nausea and diarrhea and things like that, people feel like they can tolerate for this benefit of weight loss. And they're really effective. People lose a substantial percentage of their body weight and they're able to keep it off as long as they keep taking it. And we really haven't had those two magic ingredients so far in in the weight loss space. Two magic ingredients, meaning one, people lose weight, and two, they keep it off. That's right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have lost weight on on diets, and I'm not trying to minimize that, but it's pretty widely known that with dieting, you only lose a small percentage of your body weight, maybe something like 5% or so. And a lot of people end up gaining that back. And for a lot of obese people, they actually find that their metabolism changes, so their body kind of fights the weight loss. So they tend to hold on to this excess weight, and it just becomes more and more difficult the further you get into obesity. Of course, weight loss surgery is effective, but this is something that it's not a major procedure. You don't have to go under. You don't have to eat these tiny meals for the rest of your life. You do have to inject it for now, but people would prefer that. I mean, really, you describe it, it does kind of sound too good to be true. I understand it is true, but it is interesting that they suddenly swept in this thing that clears out all the problems that people have been struggling with for so long. 
Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to minimize the fact that there are side effects and a lot of people can't tolerate them. And according to this one obesity doctor that I talked to, they don't work for everyone, everyone. Like, I think there's always some percentage of the population that's not going to respond. And of course, the big, huge caveat with these is that they are super duper expensive if your insurance doesn't cover them. So in a sense, they're a magic pill, but only if you can afford it. Is it reasonable to assume that sometime in the near future it will be more widely accessible? I have asked this question of every expert I talk to, like, when will it be covered by insurance? Generally, things tend to move from not covered to covered. So I I do think it's reasonable to expect that soon these will become covered by insurance. I guess I'm just trying to imagine if there is a future where these are widely available and then— the way we talk about weight loss kind of changes in the culture. Yeah, I mean, this is <laughs> this is super sensitive and also hard to predict. And it's something that these weight loss companies that I've been talking to tiptoe around because their whole thing is helping people who want to lose weight. But there was sort of a period of time where expressing a desire to lose weight was not... How do I put this? Expressing a desire to lose weight was not... um, Cool. It was not cool. Yeah, I I guess cool. But it was also just kind of frowned upon. Like, there was just this era, uh, I want to say, like, 2017 to 2020, where it was seen as gauche to be like, I'm on a diet. Um, People stopped dieting. You know, the CEO of Weight Watchers around that time was like, healthy is the new skinny. This is what I want to talk about. Let's back up. Sure. I think I want to start at the founding of Weight Watchers. Okay. 1963, because it happened in Queens, and I grew up in Queens, and Queens has so few moments of glory. Back in the early Weight Watchers era, what was the talk or idea around weight loss? So Weight Watchers really started as America was still partly in this era of shame around being overweight. Things had kind of transitioned from being thin is morally good to being fat is shameful. Um, You had these, like, support groups that held public weigh-ins. One would force their members who hadn't lost weight to stand in what they called a pig line, So according to a 1963 Life magazine story, during meetings, women would pin cardboard pigs on the non-losers, meaning people who didn't lose weight, and serenade each other with, we are plump little pigs who ate too much, fat, fat, fat. Oh, my God. Yeah. And this was like a sisterly support group situation? This was a support group. It's like truly deeply offensive. Wow. Okay, wow. So we get to the 60s, and this is when this housewife named Jean Nidich invites six friends to her house, and they talk about their weight struggles. She finds this to be really helpful to just, like, have this informal group where you can share your experiences. She eventually loses 72 pounds, and so she kind of establishes this idea of having a real support group, not a mean, shamey one, where people encourage each other and help each other to lose weight in this more supportive environment. Um, But was the underlying idea there still a kind of value or moral judgment around weight so that even if it wasn't quite so mean, there was this idea that fat is ugly or bad or something? Like, what was the language like in that era? Yeah, it was, I would say, less mean, but definitely she was not like, I just want wellness or I'm happy with my body. She wanted 
to lose weight. And right. um, she would carry around a photo of her, like, former self when she was heavier. And she would be like, I pray that I never forget where I came from because Oof. it was, like, yeah. so bad to be overweight. Yeah. Um, so definitely in this Weight Watchers era, people were still losing weight and they were not just, like, doing yoga and being body positive. So that's kind of where it all originated. Okay, so what happens next? So because dieting isn't very effective, I think a lot of people got frustrated with this encouragement to diet and exercise. And I mean, there was a time when I was reporting a lot on obesity and I would actually go to doctor's appointments with people and the doctor would tell them to lose weight and they would be like, I don't know how or I can't. And they would be like, well, have you tried diet and exercise? Like, Also, what? doctor, like, do you think I didn't think of that? Like, right. You said, like right. a novel idea you just came up with? And it, Yeah, it's like a little bit condescending. And so I think people kind of were like, I'm not going to put up with this anymore. And then the industry took a cue, I guess, from the general population. And so you had magazines who were like, we're going to stop using phrases like bikini body. Lean Cuisine, this was a weird one, started offering a browser extension that actually blocks the word diet from your web pages. Interesting. Which is weird because it's lean cuisine. <laughs> right. It is kind of diety food. Yeah. And, and you really had body positivity take off and the idea of a diet really just seemed kind of outdated. So if dieting fell out of fashion, what new things sprung up? Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. Right around this time in 2018, Weight Watchers starts calling itself WW. But at the same time, you still have people who want to lose weight. So you have things starting up like Noom, which is this weight loss app. And it does show you how to diet and how to eat foods that will keep you full longer and help you track your food and count your calories and things like that. But it also took this psychological approach where it would tell you, like, there's no such thing as good and bad foods and you should move joyfully. And just because you mess up one day doesn't mean that your diet is ruined. So it does a lot of, like, therapy coaching alongside telling you that grapes are healthier than raisins. And I, I know a lot of people who lost weight on Noom, and it seems to be pretty effective. Yeah, I remember when I was first looking through Noom and being really, like, surprised at how different the language was. You know, they talked a lot about health and wellness and body positivity, but it was really hard to tell if people who were going to Noom just still had those same old anxieties about being thin. And if these companies sort of knew that and maybe were just coloring it over in more acceptable language so people felt better using it. I think that's for everyone to draw their own conclusion. So I will say that like Weight Watchers, they stop requiring their members to have a weight loss goal. They stop doing the before and after photos that they're kind of very famous for. You pick goals when you sign up for Weight Watchers, and one of them was developing a positive mindset. Meetings started to be called workshops. I don't really know why that's better than meetings, but <laughs> they did that. More professional, maybe. Right. Um, but they were still offering a point system and ways for people to lose weight. It was still a weight loss program. So I think they just picked up on this sentiment in the culture that dieting is sort of passe, and they were like, what can we do? We're a weight loss company that fits with this new sentiment that people have around dieting, but still fundamentally helps people lose weight. And there were periods that were a genuine opening up in the culture, like a change in models, like catalog models, just general models. Like there was a broadening of types of bodies that you would see on screen or in magazines that everybody would agree could be called beautiful. 
Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, and you had like the Dove commercials, those famously like included size 10 women, which was like revolutionary at the time. (laughs) Um, So yeah, there was a lot of positive stuff that came out of that time. Some of the shame around being fat, thankfully, went away. But there is this enduring fundamental problem, which is that obesity is associated with a lot of bad health effects. And doctors in particular were still working on that. Now you're separating the cultural issues from the medical issues. The medical issues being that obesity specifically, not overweightness, but obesity specifically is associated with certain health outcomes. Obesity was and continues to be a big problem. It can cause diabetes, liver disease, heart disease, cancers, sleep apnea. It can shorten your lifespan. I mean, it continued throughout this time of body positivity to be something that doctors consider to be a huge health risk. I understand. So you could think of it as a symptom that might lead to other symptoms, but there isn't any moral value attached to it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's where things got really twisted is that obesity did acquire a moral valence because I think a lot of people wrongly saw it as something you could completely control with what you ate. And if you just swapped out your Big Mac for carrot sticks, you wouldn't be obese anymore. But realistically, that's not what a lot of obese people are doing. They're eating right and exercising, but they can't lose weight anyway. So in some ways, it's better to think of obesity in a medical way because it's a medical condition. What are the American numbers on obesity and how have they changed over all these decades that we've been talking about? It went from 13% of Americans were obese in the 60s to 42% are obese now. So it is it is a really big medical problem. And we somehow have to muddle through and find a balance between treating obesity and helping people lose weight if they want to without shaming people who are obese or making them feel fat or lazy or somehow less than just because they're obese. I do think that this, this era of semaglutide's puts a new focus on the fact that if you're, you know, severely overweight or obese, there is something you can do about that. When we come back, what happens when these medical imperatives and cultural shifts collide? Imagine it's 20 years from now. Insurance covers Ozempic. It's affordable. It's pretty widely available. Not just to treat diabetes and obesity. We don't live there yet. But you can tell it's coming because of what happened this spring with Weight Watchers. These same companies that are sort of like, there's no good and bad foods, and you haven't messed up, you just had a slip up, and wellness is more important than weight, and healthy is the new skinny are now saying, do you want some Ozempic? Yeah. (laughs) um, So yeah, so both Noom and Weight Watchers have launched these services where you can be paired with a doctor. And if you qualify, which means if you're obese or you have diabetes or other conditions, you can be prescribed these weight loss drugs. And it doesn't cover the cost of them, of course, which is substantial. So you would sort of do your Noom and your psychological behavior change, but also you would be injecting yourself with Ozempic. And to you, what was the significance of that announcement? Well, it's an awkward pivot 
right? Because you've been saying all you have to do is follow our guidelines. You just have to count your points and keep going to meetings and it'll work. Or you just have to follow Noom and, you know, log your meals and it'll work. And suddenly it's sort of like, well, but if you want a little something extra, here it is. It is a little surprising. Because there's nobody's explicit about that. Well, yeah. And I mean, the Weight Watchers CEO, Seema Sistani, said there are people who join this program and lapse from our program because it didn't work for them. And we have to be honest about that. And we now know better. And so we should do better. And so they're kind of saying like, yeah, like we have to admit that for some people, just regular Weight Watchers doesn't work. So it is. It's a huge admission and it's a huge step for them to be offering these drugs. Now, on the one hand, saying we know that our program doesn't work for a lot of people feels liberating. Like there's a way in which it acknowledges that obesity is a problem completely separate from willpower. We all acknowledge that. It's a it's a little bit like the change in framework we had with Prozac. Yeah, Prozac is a really good analogy because I don't think in this day and age, I don't think people would really shame someone who's like, I have depression and I take Prozac. You wouldn't be like, well, have you just, you know, tried to be happy, you know, or whatever. (laughs) But it was more that when Prozac was first introduced, it sort of switched the framework so that you didn't necessarily have to think about psychodynamic therapy and sort of dig deep into your past. You you at least had another model, which can be treated in this separate chemical way. So, So there's kind of a bright line between you and it. It just externalizes the situation. Yeah, I mean, and that's something that the new medical director also pointed out to me, which is that, like, some people are just genetically predisposed to have insulin resistance. That can lead to abnormal fat storage and a dysregulated appetite. And there's just not a lot that you can do when your body is actively working against you to keep you from losing weight. Let's say Ozempic-like drugs are widely available. A lot of people start to know people who are taking Ozempic and think about it and talk about it in this way. Can you imagine a scenario in which that actually changes this underlying lingering bias against fatness? I really hope so. I mean, because once you have a medication that works really well for something like obesity, and everyone kind of acknowledges that if you take this, you will lose a substantial amount of weight very quickly. I do think some of the moralizing around it will go away because the problem with diets is that they are very moralistic, like forcing people to eat carrots or whatever instead of what they actually want to be eating. It has like a should and shouldn't quality that is a little like telling people to just be happy. Like, I I think that you know, once these become more popularized, hopefully it will lead more people to see obesity as a medical condition, which again, I think is a positive thing. So that's the positive. The positive is that we move into a world where we have a completely different medical framework for obesity and it slowly erodes the stigma around being fat. Now maybe the difficult thing. (laughs) Like one thing I wonder about is if it actually hardens our intolerance of fat, if you just won't get with this program. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a real risk of that. To use an example of my own that's not obesity, I do have anxiety, um, but I'm not on 
anti-anxiety medication. But every time I go to the doctor and check anxiety on the form, they're like, Lexapro, here you go. Like, <laughs> uh-huh. here, why don't you take it? No, seriously, take it. Like, you know, and it doesn't matter how many times I say, like, I'm, I want to try other things. Like, I'm whatever, I'm meditating. Like, they're like, well, we have a pill. Like, you could just take it. And it's very hard to push back against the medicalization of something. And I do think that there is a potential for that for people who don't want it take it for whatever reason, can't tolerate it. Again, there are side effects. Maybe it doesn't work for them. Maybe insurance doesn't cover it. Maybe they just have other things they want to focus on than losing weight. I think there is a risk that we'll get to be like, well, you know, your biggest problem is obesity. And why don't you just, you know, inject this into yourself already? Right, yeah. right. I mean, in this, what you described about your relationship with doctors and anxiety it is a discipline for you to maintain a complicated relationship with your anxiety in the same way I think it might really take a lot of work and be a discipline to maintain a complicated relationship with your body. Yeah, I mean, right now, the obesity doctor or one of them that I talked to for this, he was saying he does not just, like, write a prescription for everyone who comes by. You really have to be obese, which is, like, above a certain BMI threshold. So if you were just a little overweight, that's not really going to qualify you. But I think in the future, it might come to a point where these drugs are so widely available that someone who's just overweight, not obese, can get their hands on them and basically use them, Mm -hmm. probably. So you will not see as many people who are obese. Um, And so therefore, being a little overweight will start to look maybe a little more conspicuous among your social group or whatever else, and that you might start to put some pressure on that endocrinologist to write that prescription already. I I think there is a possibility of that happening. But at the same time, obesity is like such a huge medical problem that if we do have a way to get people to not be obese and it's relatively low key and they can tolerate it well and it's like widely available, I have trouble not seeing that as a good thing. Well, Olga, thank you very much. That was very helpful in thinking through the future. (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, thanks so much for having me on. That's it for our show today. This episode was produced by Ethan Brooks and Kevin Townsend. It was mixed by Rob Smirsiak. Fact-checking by Sam Fentress. The executive producer of Atlantic Audio is Claudina Bade, and our managing editor is Andrea Valdez. I'm Hannah Rosen, and we'll be back next week. <laughs>